Hello, I'm Pip Stafford, and this is What Are You Looking At? This is the second part of our Insider Stories two-part series for 2018. In the first episode, we heard from Fiona Hamilton, Tasmanian Aboriginal artist, writer, activist and producer. For this episode of the fourth season, we put out an open call for stories from the inside. We wanted interesting anecdotes from artists and arts workers, and we expected light-hearted tales of working in the arts, invigilation, horror stories and easy-to-edit soundbites. What we got instead were personal, exploratory stories that deserved their own space. So here we are, stories from the inside. Our second story is from Brigida Oslands. Brigida is an artist and senior lecturer at the School of Creative Arts, University of Tasmania. This is Brigida's story. I want to tell you the story of how I got the commission to make my best known artwork. It's called Kryptos and it's a permanent installation built into the very structure of the gallery at Mona. In fact, it's almost right in the centre of the original museum on level B2 before the new Pharos extension opened last year. So at the end of 2004, which is quite a while ago now, and not long after finishing my PhD, I applied for a range of grants and one of them was for the Marilla Scholarship, a $10,000 stipend funded by the owner of Marilla um, and which came with the expectation of putting on a solo exhibition of work supported by the scholarship funds. Now at the time there was no Mona, just the old Roy Grounds designed house in which a mysterious new owner was exhibiting ancient artefacts. No one knew very much about the museum or the mysterious new owner, but some colleagues at art school where I was working casually at the time said it was fantastic and I should definitely go out to see it. So I visited the museum and I felt totally overwhelmed by the collection, which was smallish, but remarkable and included many beautiful artefacts that particularly appealed to me because they featured early forms of writing. So because my art practice explores our relationship to language, books, history and writing, the theme of my proposal for the Marilla Scholarship became patently obvious. I was going to make artwork that would respond to items in the museum that depict ancient forms of writing. So I sent off my application and then, in early 2005, I received a surprise phone call. You've applied for the Marilla Scholarship, said the voice on the other end of the line. Yes, I responded, feeling rather excited, imagining that this may mean positive news about the scholarship. Well, I'm not going to give it to you, said the voice at the other end of the line and my heart immediately sank with disappointment. But instead, I want you to make a work for an extension to my museum. The voice then mentioned a sum that far exceeded the Marilla Scholarship stipend, and I felt a bit suspicious at this point. Was it a friend pulling my leg? And I said, excuse me, but who am I speaking to? The voice explained that he was David Walsh, that he was the owner of Marilla and that he didn't really expect me to know who he was because he kept a fairly low profile. Anyway, the call was clearly not a hoax. 
And so we then met at Marilla to discuss my proposal for the so-called extension to the gallery, which I imagined was going to be a few extra rooms added onto the Roy Grounds house. David personally showed me many of the rare items in, in the collection and even allowed me to hold some of them in my hands. I was really taken aback by the privilege and also by David's intimate and detailed knowledge of every item that he owned. I was also more than slightly terrified about the task ahead and what exactly was expected of me. David paced out an area of floor space where he was standing. He said, you can have this much by this much. That's about seven metres by about 10 metres and you can do anything you like. I said that was rather scary, the prospect of doing anything I liked and he replied, great, it's good to be scared. Okay, I said, I'll put together a proposal for you, but I'm about to head off on a residency, so I could get it to you in about a couple of months. He then asked when exactly I was heading off on the residency, and I said, oh, in two weeks. He said, right, so you've got two weeks to come up with the proposal then. I left that first meeting in my tired old high-ace van, which David thought was an appropriate vehicle for an artist, feeling a mixture of intense emotion. I was hyper-excited and terrified all at once, and I felt like I was in a strange dream. The amount of money allocated to make the work was more than I had ever imagined. It would make it possible to create something really extraordinary but at the same time, what would happen if I stuffed up? I presented David with two proposals before I headed off on my residency and to my delight and immense relief, he was happy with one of them. So that was the start of Kryptos. Of course, the work you see at Mona now is rather different from the original design, but the essential elements that incorporate code combined with sound and artefacts from David's collection have remained the constants. As an aside, at one of those early meetings, I also asked for a contract, and David replied, I don't do contracts. You do the work and invoice me, and I pay you. That's how it works. Today, of course, now that the museum is so huge and has so many staff and so many exhibitions from overseas institutions and it commissions so many different artists from all over the world, that entire process has actually changed. And I know because I've been commissioned to do several other works uh, for the museum. But from the time I was commissioned to make Mona, to make Kryptos, until Mona actually opened, I witnessed some very special uh, moments in the development of the museum. I visited the site many times from 2008 onwards, often navigating my way through a maze of towering scaffolding. And in the two months just prior to the grand opening, um, and it was two months it took me to actually complete all of the final work on Kryptos, I watched a messy, complex, often chaotic building site transform into a stunning and labyrinthine museum of old and new art. 
I particularly remember the rise of excited applause when the final image in Sidney Nolan's snake was hung on its magnificent curved wall on level B2, not very far away from where Kryptos is sited. Kryptos itself is a mini maze that features underfloor lighting, a slightly mysterious soundtrack, four artefacts that are covered in cuneiform, which is the earliest form of writing known to us, and roughly 3,000 zeros, ones and letters of the alphabet that spell out sections of the Epic of Gilgamesh that have been translated into binary code. The epic was written in cuneiform around 2700 BC, so not only was it written in the language, the oldest language known to us, it's also the oldest piece of literature known to us. And in fact, David Walsh was the one who suggested that I use the epic as the piece of literature that I translate into binary code for Kryptos. So while the builders constructed the maze, I had to individually glue the 3,000 numbers and letters to the walls of the three chambers that make up the work. And during those two months, David visited me almost every day to see how I was progressing and to remind me every now and then that the work had to be finished by January 21st for the opening of the museum. I kind of think he actually liked the idea of this person in there every day, sort of just over and over again having to glue these letters to the walls um, of this installation. Now, not long after I'd just started, it was about after gluing four metres of code onto the walls, he came in and suggested that I should cut all the serifs off the ones because he thought that that would look better. And my heart sank, but I managed to convince him that the serifs should actually stay. For a start, it would have been impossible to cut them neatly off about 1,500 numerals made of steel and aluminium, and half of those were also covered in a micron of fake gold. They're the ones that go into the very central chamber. David also loved the soundtrack and he would often get me to turn that on so that his friends and visitors could experience it. At the time, I really had no idea I was making work for what would end up being the largest private museum in the Southern Hemisphere and I also didn't suspect that Kryptos would become such a popular exhibition in the museum. It was not a smooth ride making the work. It took a very long time, longer than my PhD took to complete, and there were many moments when I felt sure that David would dump my project, especially as I learned of the amazing contemporary artwork he was buying by really big international names like Damien Hirst and Anselm Kiefer. I fully expected a phone call from him explaining that he'd moved on from his original ideas and that my work would no longer fit into his new vision. But that never happened. David stayed true to his word and gave me an extraordinary opportunity to extend my practice in a way I had never imagined possible. I think that up to this point, Kryptos is my very best work. And even though I designed it, um, I was the creator of it, it continues to surprise me whenever I visit. So I'm immensely grateful to David Walsh for sticking by me and believing that I could do it. 
You've been listening to What Are You Looking At, a podcast by Contemporary Art Tasmania. What Are You Looking At is produced by Lisa Campbell-Smith and myself, Pip Stafford. Audio mixed down by Brendan Walls, soundtrack by Josh Santospirito. For more information about CAT and our programs, head to www.contemporaryarttasmania.org.